uh, how's that saying goes? Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Mm. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to have two members of No More Exclusions, aka NME. Um, first off, we have Zara B, who is a recovering teacher, um, a PhD researcher at UCL, the Institute of Education, working on um, a research project on school exclusions, disability, criminalisation, and is overall her project is an abolitionist PhD. And Zara has been on the show before, and she is a founding member of No More Exclusions and was actually on the show, yeah, around three years ago when you guys were first starting out. And then we also have in the studio, Kadeem. Yeah, no, um, yeah, Kadeem, I'm, I'm in the studio as well. Kadeem's in the studio as well, <laughs> aka Av, who is an artist, another member of No More Exclusions, a grassroots organiser, and a philosophical poet. And before we get into it, I think we're going to play one of Kadeem's poems to sort of get us into what we're going to be discussing today. As a person affected, I'm sick of running around not knowing my next step. As a person affected, I'm marginalised and upset. As a person affected, I'm up all night, insomniac, getting no rest, but they excluded my protest. As a person affected, I'm my own contest. As a person affected, I expect accountability. As a person affected, I feel like the world's angry and racial biases are killing me. Some scholars, some of the community say they care. As a person affected, I just like the MPs who claim to help. Far and few between, I've seen myself. Is anyone hearing? I'm trying to fix an issue I've never had trouble declaring. To my detriment, I understand my emotions. Being black, vocal and passionate is antisocial. Me, I love to speak about injustice. Protecting my friends, a lesson to the public. Police said I'm a gang member involved in recent foolery, but I feel like part of a thriving community. Yeah, I got kicked out of school. Me too, you know the regular message, disruptive in class, he plays the fool. Specifically he, if it's she, nails too long, hair issues, the problems, braids or weave. Am I talking about you or am I talking about me or am I talking about something he's definitely seen? Ha. Huh. Let's just ignore it. Talking about race gets boring. It's not important. Exclusions are okay and humane. No bearings on our aspirations. Not for the teacher's personal gain. Even though the facts so blatant. My slim chance of success before death aren't adjacent to those of me being dead selling drugs or visiting stations. Police and teachers are thieves trying to rob me of my future and dreams and race ain't the reason see politicians don't get punished for indecency no doctors no i'm sick just believe me please gangs and guns aren't improving me the narratives changed your movement ceased my losses were substantial before the pandemic thoughtfully though black's not aggressive Done. <laughs> yeah, after this. 
yeah, that's all right. It's cool. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. And we are obviously massive fans of your work. It's so good to have you back. Can't believe all the things you've achieved over the past three years because you were literally just starting out. And obviously the basis of NME, of No More Exclusions, is about ending school exclusions, ending the school to prison pipeline, ending pupil referral units. It's that's, that's the basis of No More Exclusions, isn't ending it? Ending the conditions that produce exclusions because that's what abolitionists work on root causes right i can't believe it's been three years that's yeah. mad right that's mad i'm gonna take so could you tell us what fill us in what's been happening over the last three years <sighs> gosh you yeah. made some headwords some highlights no, man. would like to think so first of all i just want to big up everyone that uh, is in the space everyone that's like lifted us through the time since mm-hmm, i've last mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. you and supported Enemy. And actually, a lot of the programs, and I'm not saying this now because I'm trying to suck up to you guys, but the, oh, it's no, the it's, truth. No, it's all love here, Zara. There's no love here. It is absolutely love. true to say that following the podcast, like we were able to make a major headway mm. because Sick. of Surviving Society and mm. the people that listen to you that actually contacted us after the show mm. after they listened mm. and they were like we're going to help you with some of the structural things that we were dealing with at mm. the time i.e funding which we still need um <laughs> and restricted thank you and also the fact that we decided uh, that we were never going to become a charity or part of the exclusion industrial complex mm-hmm. which means we're difficult to fund yeah and we are flat structure and we are decentralized and we center lived experience and people affected it's not a proposition that is necessarily easy on the ears and on the brochures it's radical mm. you know it comes from black feminist black radical thought and schools of organizing a lot's happened a yeah. lot yeah. positive some mixed mm-hmm. obviously the world is totally different in mm. many ways and then at the same time uh, how's that saying goes plus ça change plus la même chose mm. the more things change the more they stay the same yeah <laughs> I'm going to go for my first citation now, which is actually citing your paper mm-hmm. that you've, you've produced. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you for that. Thank Sociological you. podcasting is where it's at. Mm-hmm. We learn as a teacher. I can attest to the fact that the best learning happens in conversation. And it's really what you've, you've embodied. Mm. And it's been your praxis. Reading your paper last night, there's something that really struck, many things struck me, but one thing that really struck me was uh, the reference to presentism. How do we find ourselves facing the same problems over and over on a loop? You know, how do things keep perpetuating, you know, upheld? Mm. And it's because we live in this presentism. You know, we, as, as you say in your journal, like, like we are part of a fed media in the main, not mm. surviving podcasts, but mm. we're fed media that uh, presents things as new presents and things that, as that, new they're, that they're not actually part of a long process of inequality and just to be clear that citation is from um les back who talks about presentism that we use there but, thank you um, yeah, thank yeah. you thank yeah, you yeah, les no. back thank you surviving <laughs> society so important because part of the reason why we find ourselves in this loop with school exclusions and the exclusion of the black child is because we haven't heeded the lessons from Bernard Cord, and I'm talking 1971 and the Black Parent Movement and Stella Dazzi, who I know you've spoken to as well. And, you know, um, Sin Bean's campaigns of the 80s, like those lessons haven't been learned. And I do want to start with, if that's OK, a little quote from Bernard yeah, Cord. Yeah. Yeah. 
because uh, I know you've <coughs> spoken to him also. Well, so we didn't. So Darren Wallace spoke to him on our Spotlight series. Yeah. But yeah, so Bernard Cord, who wrote the book How the West Indian Child, Child is Made Educationally Subnormal in the <coughs> British School System. Essential reading for anyone working mm. on this yep. topic. So that book was initially published in 1971. And it was actually typed by Phyllis, his wife. It's important to big up black women as well as I always do. Mm. Women in general and their mm. visible labour and movement building. It was typed up by Phyllis and it was delivered door to door, campaigning by people like Jessica Huntley, again, more black mm. women mm. activists. So bigging up these women, these historical figures, you know, that you don't we don't we don't celebrate enough. Mm. So I just want to start with a passage from his book that was reprinted last year, 2021, for the 50th anniversary since the publication, the original publication, the black child acquires two fundamental attitudes or beliefs as a result of his experience in the British school system, a low self-image and consequently low self-expectations in life. These are obtained through streaming, banding, bassing, ESN, which means education is subnormal, schools, racist news media, and a white middle-class curriculum by totally ignoring the black child's language, history, culture, identity. Through the choice of teaching materials, the society emphasizes who and what it thinks is important. And by implication, by omission, who and what it thinks is unimportant, infinitesimal irrelevant. Through the belittling, ignoring or denial of a person's identity, one can destroy perhaps the most important aspect of a person's personality. He says his, I'm going to say her, her sense of identity of who she is. Without this, she will get nowhere. That was written 1971. How much of that is still relevant today? I just, I'm just dropping that and leaving yeah. it there for yeah. a second. Yeah, no. no, it's important to drop that and leave it there because it's so important. And I guess perhaps it would be good. I, I should have done it in the introduction, Kadeem, and I'm sorry that I didn't. But Kadeem, you are, as a member of NME, you're obviously a radical scholar, a philosophical poet, but also you are someone that was excluded as well. Um. Yeah, so... I was excluded and labelled basically from my first engagement with the education system. That didn't really, it didn't lead to me receiving a fair education, I feel like, in my opinion. And um, it led to when I started to develop the language to express how I was feeling, a diagnosis of oppositional defiance disorder. Mm. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that diagnosis, but... What's it mean? What's that mean? But is it a neurodiverse trait or is it made up? Yeah, it's neurodiverse it's trait. It's okay. a trait of neurodiversity. Mm. And I feel like it was um, honed in on and focused to create, obviously, the label. I feel like a flag to the education system of, um, obviously, uh, argumentative, um, challenging authority. But um, the clinical report says inconsistent authority figures. Mm. So, obviously, there's... Mm. Where's the inconsistency? Mm. Yeah, like for for noticing differences in treatment of myself and other students of another colour in the classroom, I would be sent out for um coming maybe five minutes late to my lesson, mm. getting my books and my pencils out of my bag, disrupting the teacher, I would be sent out. And I don't know, I had, I don't know, I've counted, I've done an SAR and an FOI. And I had like yeah over eighty one interventions in primary. So you did it. <laughs> so wait. Sake. So you did. So you did your own freedom information on your experience at school. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah, that's what I had to do. Actually, the doctor is missing fifteen years of my medical history. Actually. Really. So, yeah. Fuckeries, man. It's called subject access subject something. 
yeah, subject access request and a freedom of information to the local Anyone authority. Anyone can do it. It's important to actually yeah, say yeah, this. Hundred yeah. percent. People should know. So, Kadeem, like, how did you? So you've obviously been on such a big journey, and one that you have experienced systemic marginalisation at the hands of this English education system. You're at a different part of this journey now, and how did you get to where you are now? And that you you have the the capacity to be like, right, I'm going to take charge of this. I'm going to do a freedom of information. Like that isn't like to me like it's just so incredible. Like what happened? Can you tell us like what happened? ODD, I, I say it's um overwhelming determination disorder. It's not it's not oppositional defiance, but um it depends how you look at it. But um I didn't accept. The diagnosis, so refusal to accept as well, mm. conveniently. Getting through alternative provision or pr- or pre provisions. Your pupil referral units. Yeah, pupil referral units. Which is where you, t- which is just for the listeners. Can we just tell them what a pupil referral unit is? Basically, it's just a specialist school setting for children who have or are perceived to have learning difficulties or special educational needs. So, yeah, ESN. Basically, it's it's a modification of ESN. Yeah, I got I got eight GCSEs out of a pre, so I don't I don't believe that I could have done that if I was oppositional or just oppositional. So you like you said, so basically you have the academic ability. Is what you're saying? So you could you've done it. You've achieved the GCSEs. So they put you in there, and you, you feel it wasn't warranted. You going in there? Yeah, always. I think that's that. I think that's the main basis of of, of my diagnosis. <laughs> always, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you're still fighting for your diagnosis now. Yeah, I'm still trying to get adult assessment actually. So even from obviously having I'm um, being on the SCN register from four, like I'm from still trying to get old. yeah from yeah. four years from my first engagement from nursery. I'm still trying to get adult assessment because apparently oppositional defiance disorder is is a childhood condition. So what are they saying? Yeah. So when you're black, it's a childhood <laughs> condition. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's a childhood. Talking condition. about made up. Mm. I was gonna say it sounds so eugenic, like as in it's a childhood disorder. I think it's trying. To, I think it's. I think it's like a kind of eugenics kind of. No, word, no, no. It? They said you grow out of it. They, I do. Is what they say, yeah. but it always sounds to me when they like labeling like this. How they kind of they want to kind of picture the black male as disruptive and how to explain away his behavior scientifically. Can I just say something to you? When when Kadim said this at a round table, mm. David Gilbon was there. Professor David Gilbon was mm. there, who's done the work on exclusions now. Mm. I would say for thirty years, and he's one of the few white academics. Mm. I actually, it, yeah. I actually rate him mm. on yeah. this subject and read his work, and mm. would happily cite him. He never heard of professional oppositional defiant yeah, disorder. Mm. Same, yeah, the same reaction that you had. So maybe someone needs to tell us and mm. illuminate this because so far we can't get to the bottom of where. <laughs> the, what's the? What is the genesis? Yeah. Where is this term coming from? Because, because this is obviously like as listeners will know, like Tiso and I have mul- have multiple neurodiverse traits, and we're not yeah. necessarily experts on it. But like we've been on a journey of learning. Yeah about it i've never heard that before so if there's any listeners right any <laughs> listeners right now who want to send us what this is yeah because yeah. it sounds like <laughs> we'd a like racist, to know eugenic mm. label it sounds mad eugenics we'd like like it, sounds... it, it kept me in in, in proof for seven years okay. but i didn't go to mainstream secondary and school. also where was the proof located because that's key yeah i'm saying so like Stop what's it. your experience been like in it man um so i got a cab every day from from kenzo rise actually Mm-hmm. Or, or my mum's yeah, mm-hmm. or Kilgan 
or Brunswick Park, mm. or um, yeah, every day a, a escort and a and a cab to school from yeah Northwest London, Kilburn, Brunswick Park to Peckham right every day, mm. and before that, I was in Finchley, doing one to one provision, as well. So, mm. yeah, like I didn't get a chance though, to be honest. See, mm. like it's so, I just I just have to say like what it's making me think about it's just trauma just pure trauma and like it's just a complete but right disregard so of his well-being what's interesting to me is at the time you don't experience it as trauma right so when you're you're just doing what your parents tell you or what what you're doing what you're told and or then do you, but you no nah, i would i don't yeah. think i wasn't yeah. i wasn't really you felt yeah you felt nah. the way because obviously on my on my paperwork mm. There's some of the conversations, some of the transcripts with obviously the, the EPs and whatever. Mm. Says, yeah, um, Kadeem says he feels he's perfectly normal and it's got it in inverted commas, his mm. own words. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I'm going to get into that later. Mm. When I, when we I need to pick up on normalcy as well. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. eugenic. Yeah. Perfectly normal. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <sighs> in his own words. There's a lot here. That's and as always, word. with enemy, you could do a whole series. We're ready. Whenever mm. you're, mm. We're available. <laughs> <laughs> No, for <laughs> real, for real. No, no, yeah. yeah, no, because we've been. If anybody would like I to fund it, I hope you don't mind <laughs> me saying, but we've we've done quite a few um, kind of legal type episodes recently, mm-hmm. and it is. I think it is all part of the, like because we're all thinking about abolitionist futures at the moment, and it is all part of that kind of same kind of discourse, dialect, and knowledge sharing. But I'm reminded here of our Jengba conversation. Um, so Jane Burrow joined joint enterprise and like how much the state is just up against black men in particular, like how organized mm. it is, like the detail, Kadeem having to get escorted in a cab from an, uh, like north for, to for, south. This is a, this is a global podcast. So <laughs> just to FYI <laughs> from the north, from, from Kensal Rise to Peckham, Peckham in London. It's a trek on Rye. Peckham Rye. Yeah, it's a trek. That is a trek. That will yeah, yeah. take you every morning. They're in, in rush hour, but From two hours? From 2006 to 2011, so that period there. Two hours, maybe? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. And there but was an escort, though. so you would have the cab driver plus the escort plus Kadeem. Mm. See how organised that racism is? From, like, that from is a, year that 10. Is, that is such... From year 10, there was another kid in the cab with me. And imagine this, right? Look what the state will pay for. <gasps> Thank That's you. What I mean. Look what, what the state will pay for. It's a madness. Thank you. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Very invested. Mm-hmm. Like we always invested. say, you're very invested. In, the money can always be found mm-hmm. when it's to fund failure. Mm-hmm. No, from 16 not, onwards. Not, not, not that you were failure. No, 100%. Their failure to care for you. Their, mm-hmm. their failure to educate you. Their, their, failure, their failure to allow you to be part of your community. Because mm-hmm. what they've done him is think about it, uproot, and not, yeah. not just to him, uproot him from his Brent community, his mm. local community, and he doesn't know any of his peers growing yeah. up. Mm. And then say I'm a gang member. So this is how I got back into it. Is it what, so, is that, is that they said, what they said that to you? This is how I got back into it. I don't know if this... Basically, I got dragged off my doorstep, the same, the same doorstep that's obviously social services yeah. used to pick me up. By um obviously a black undercover police officer in it. I got excluded by two black head teachers as well. Yeah, yeah. So I've had this this issue of um authority and and being excluded for taking up a pencil off the teacher desk to continue writing because my lead snapped and all mm-hmm. them type of things. And obviously this person obviously like I don't know like just yeah he grabbed me without 
presenting his warrant card, saying his name or station. And he took you. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like like property still. Yeah. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. But without a warrant card. Blackness yeah, yeah. Without a warrant card. <laughs> without presenting a warrant card. Yeah, yeah. Without stating name or station. How in old fact, are you? I was twenty three at the time. But in fact, the case law that they that they referenced states a a minimum requirement that wasn't met. Mm. So obviously I started looking at case law yeah. and all this stuff. This took from your door, just took you like that. Yeah, but these people are different, boy. Different. Black police officer. Different. It's on camera, actually. I shouldn't yeah. have the body worn camera, but I got the body worn camera. So, boom, they said you're a gang member, right? Yeah. Involved in recent shootings on the borough of Westminster. In Westminster? I was, uh, bo- I was born in Paddington Hospital. Uh, this is long, right? Is so, you, so, you're coming from Finchley, they're from North, and they say you're in Westminster as a gang and you're going to school in South. Yeah. yeah. Okay, long. Right, they said long. I'm in two gangs in the same area as well that are in conflict with Again, again, right. Just to bring it back for the listeners to understand how this works locationally and how organised this structural interpersonal racism is. These are opposite sides of the city and this yeah. is a massive city. Yeah. This is insane. Okay. So in terms of how this manifests and we're obviously we're, we're thinking about we're thinking about your case in particular Kadeem but we know Kadeem's case is very similar for for students for young people for young black people that are excluded but is it the police then have a connection with the school how do these kind of structures coalesce around your your quote-unquote case I thought that I thought that there would be a connection in terms of I thought that someone from the local authority might yeah. be able to explain that I've got a condition directly to do with the offence that they're trying to charge me with. Yeah. Because um, apparently it was um obstruction or willful obstruction. But if I'm oppositional, then the obstruction is not a willful obstruction, is it? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, didn't really make mm. a lot of sense. How does it actually work? Is there a link between schools and the police is there and the people referring yeah. units and the police i think we need to get into that a little bit yeah, yeah yeah okay so the question is what is the link between exclusion proofs police what what is this whole apparatus mm. Mm. what's the continuum mm. well the continuum is definitely historical sociopolitical definitely there's an economic aspect to it mm. always follow the money as ruthie wilson gilmore mm. says mm. um and um, I, I just want to, if that's okay, talk about very briefly my experience teaching at a mm-hmm. people referral unit, yes, like what I witnessed myself. Because often people say, you know, these people don't know because they've never taught, or they, you know. So you're hearing it both from a student, but also from the teacher's perspective. So um, there's a paper that came out, written, uh, published by the Institute of Race Relations in 2020 and written by Jessica Pereira. I don't know if you've spoken to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, How black working class youth are criminalised and excluded in the English school system. And in that, it's an excellent paper, everyone should read it. And in that, she breaks it down really how the prison pipeline functions. And what I've personally seen is that I've seen, um, first of all, the process of exclusion with black children in particular, black working class, and this when those three things intersect in particular. It starts very young, from as young as four. We see cases of exclusions, labelling. Uh, you heard it from Kadim. Mm. Educational enclosure. It, yes, and Jessica talks about educational enclosure and what what that what that becomes. It becomes create, creates the conditions. You know, earlier we were talking about do we want to abolish mm. prose? Yes, we do, but we want to abolish the conditions that create prose, the conditions that create prisons, the conditions that create these othering spaces, mm. right? For those who are undeserving, can't fit 
can't be taught, won't learn, won't mm. listen. Mm. Yeah, the oppositionally defiant. Mm. Um, um, and what what that really amounts to, what I saw at the Peru, where I worked for over a decade, I saw majority of, of children and young people that were overwhelmed with the mainstream system, the way that we've been treated. A lot of them come as a result of being bullied. So bullying is something that we don't talk about enough. So instead of then safeguarding and protecting the ch children are being bullied, uh, often racially bullied actually, or bullied because of their disability or neurodiversity, mm. yeah, or neuro expansiveness. I've got zero tolerance for that still. You get zero tolerance. So you get the bullying actually, and I'm not just talking about bullying from other children, which does happen. Mm. In all schools, I think there's levels of bullying. Um, but I'm talking about bullying from from professionals, from teachers as well. Um, and uh, so I saw that a lot, of, a lot of children were there because of that. So undiagnosed needs, and I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard of this, you know. Um, so instead of being supported, resourced, taken care of, they get discarded quite quickly. With the with the black child, it's definitely done on, on an express train. And the research is there. This is not this is not a matter of opinion. And we will give you all the references that you can add mm -hmm. to your to the podcast. So. Um, exclusion happening at the early stages. Secondly, we see that the average exclude, if there is such a thing as an average in research terms, we can talk about that. But it, the average black child, the profile of the average excluded black child is not the same. It's substantially different to the profile of the average excluded white child. So, oh, sorry, so the, 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 the average excluded black child is less likely to have had, prior to exclusion, any contact with the criminal justice system any contact, less likely to have be on free school meals, less likely to be known to social services. So what does that all tell us? But, it's not, <sighs> but this is really interesting because it's actually flipping class a bit on its head because it, it's, it's actually, in, in terms of things about this, we're talking about the black child, we're talking about race. We're, we are just actually talking yeah. about race here. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. Mm. Less likely to have a diagnosed disability. Okay. Okay. When they're talking about race, they're talking about the kind of features they associate with race in that context. So being wild, disruptive, all those things that kind of... Yeah, no, I agree. But I'm just talking about the actual pro the structure that is at play here. Yeah, yeah. Usually it's both racialized and class. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. talking... So the, the, the most marginalized in, in this setting, I would have assumed would be your black working class child, just like it be your, yeah. your working class child that happens to be white in that class dynamic yeah. of materiality and undeservingness but actually we're talking about race here very much but like and that's that i didn't know that um, sad, man. that's that's really because i don't think there's many like this is obviously a show that is built on yeah solidarities multi-class multi-ethnic alliances and we do try to make sure that we're emphasizing yeah race is the modality in which class is lived but that emphasis on class and the class solidarities that we can have yeah. with people that are racialized in different ways yeah. particularly white people but i think this is an example that i don't think we see very no 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 much in in the case of the uk we know that we know i see it from my research but i also saw it before i even had the language before mm. i became a researcher yeah, yeah, yeah. i saw it that i i would have and I have examples I can quote as recent as Saturday. We were in Leicester talking to a professor over there who was talking about her daughter. This is a black professor, but her daughter being excluded from school. So where is where is how is class a protective factor? Yeah. So so we're so basically to put it simply, so we're not sort of, we're not being too like academic here. Yeah. Where what we're saying about exclusions is that 
it is a multi-class issue for black students, as in middle-class black students get excluded. They do get excluded. And actually, the modalities, the ways in which that is done, there are literally things that middle-class black parents have to be concerned about not doing, not seeing, because that could put the black middle-class child, Mm. I suppose, at a great risk, because then you've got the apathy parent Mm. that's challenging the system, Mm. which then means... You know what for the child that's left in school? How is that? And and we've seen it like, um, or, or the child, the black child that he's particularly like gifted, yeah, right. And again, is seen to kind of like challenge authority, challenge authority, ask a lot of questions, um, an inquisitive mind, don't it? have an inquisitive yeah. mind, not be as compliant maybe or as docile. Like we talked about this in the first podcast, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know Foucault and all of that, mm-hmm. like. Um, that is really mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a lot in that. Akala talks about that in his yeah. in his uh, chapter three of Natives mm. called Special Needs. Like you know, he basically talks about how you know was always gifted with maths in particular, and he he was put you know he was put in a special class with children yeah. in English second language because he literally asked too many questions or answered too many questions mm. and. You know, like you don't fit if you don't fit there. Mm. Yeah, I mean when I first script, started when I first started school. Uh, primary school in Medway in Kent, obviously predominantly white area. I was in it, well, because my mum was like working loads. Like, she hadn't fully realised what happened, but I had been. I've said this on the show before, but I was put in um, educa- uh, English as a second language, special needs classes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's not funny, but it's just so that's, bad. That's... And it, obviously, it's a lot of people's experience. But I, I was working class, like very, very working class. So just to, to think that that probably could have happened but if I'd been middle class I, I would say that happens a lot yeah, yeah. but the madness is right the whole point of the school and you're, you're taught there to learn is to be inquisitive to challenge authority right to challenge what you know to, on whose terms is it literally well, no, but this, is it? this is the thing so you go there but when I was at school <clears throat> a bunch of white girls go to school and they used to be just as disruptive but no one would say anything. They'd ask loads of questions. So it's, it's a race. It's an issue it's of a race. race. Yeah. It's race. The, the research shows that too. Like mm. for the same um, infractions, mm-hmm. behavior infractions, mm-hmm. uh, black children get uh, uh, disciplined much more harshly. That, yeah. The evidence is there. Again, I'll give you all the links yeah. for anybody who wants to challenge any of this along race line. I mean, it's to be honest. If someone wants to challenge that, stop listening to our <laughs> stop show. Stop listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not for you. Because we get challenged. The reason why I'm saying this. <laughs> if you haven't, if you, no. if you already, if you we get challenged nah, all the man, time. Do you, know, do you know what? Does that make sense as well? Yeah, because obviously at university, you're, you, you have to be critical at some point, in it. So, like, by the time I got to university, which maybe that wasn't the plan, I, I sort of sort of realised that I wasn't really doing anything wrong in school, but it's just the just, just setting that I yeah. was, I was doing it in. That's the point, right? So the point is, the whole thing... Not allowed is, to learn in school. But the whole point is, you're supposed to be, it's supposed to be you dare to know. You're meant to challenge knowledge, not to accept as it's given, right? But yet, if you do, you get punished. And so you start thinking, well, this is mad. It's only when you go to like post-grad or A-level, then you think, right, I have to be critical. Hmm. But that's not your training. But what's the, the fucked up thing is, those middle-class kids have that training at that, at that age. So you're, you're kind of lagging behind when you get to university. It's like you've been told they've to been told, be critical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, been, it's, been, it's been explained as a deficit. So yeah. now when I'm trying to do critical right, Yeah, you're trying to catch up, right? It's in my head, I can't. Yeah. And there's issues of confidence around yeah. that as well, mm. about criticality. Because you're told, as you said, when you get to university, we need your critical yeah. thinking in your writing. We want to hear mm. you see your voice emerge from this. But all the time you've been told, actually, like yeah. they, did, they did with my son, yeah. that there was a quote on how many times he could put his hand. He yeah. can only put his hand up twice per lesson. This was in year five. 
So he's only allowed to put his hand up twice. Twice per lesson. But see, and this is what I'm saying, your condition. So when you get to, when you get to school, when you get to work now, and you're in the graduate scheme, you're struggling, man. So you're capping achievement. Yeah, you're struggling. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and you don't meet the entitlement. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't qualify for the yeah, you, you, for my entitlement. From their point of view, you have, you're not the full package. And you're, you're seeing the people you're competing with, they have that head start, man. And you, you, when you start working, as soon as you leave university, you see it in real terms, man. And it's, it's, it's a shock. Mm. It's a shock. And you think, well, I've, you've played the game. I've gone to school. I've done everything you meant to do, but yet I'm still losing. It's my second time at uni, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's the same. I done the same thing, man. I got kicked out the first time. <laughs> so, yeah. See? So the exclusion, the educational exclusion doesn't end with schooling. So, Dean, so you're in the Peru. You get your GCSEs. Then what? What next? Oh, I went to college. See, I had to reintegrate myself into college. Did you like college? Um, maybe I entered at the wrong level. I went and done a level two, but I should have done a level three straight away, but mm-hmm. the course wasn't available. But I done art and design because that's kind of what I got the highest grade on, but it was, it's the only subject that I never got locked on a foundation paper on as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So there's that side as well. I was only capped to ever get in a C. Capping even though, once mm-hmm. again, which is what happens at the Peru. Even you can even only do though, foundation papers. Like I wouldn't have known that until my exam. Yeah. After they had kept me captive for five years. So yeah. Obviously. They kept you what captive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kept me captive for five <laughs> that's years. That's important. I say detention knee as well, innit? Because again, that's school to prison, innit? Detention knee, detainee. Yeah. But it's madness how like the system has like so they don't explain to you, they might say, Oh, you're captive doing foundation papers, but they're not really explaining to you the long term ramifications of this. Exactly. So they, they they put you in the system. The system's fucked you, but they haven't really explained to you what happens after and how you're gonna and how you're gonna navigate that for the rest of your life. Well, I always used to be allowed to do a few extra pages of the workbook anyway, so mm. it was always explained to me that I would be doing a higher paper. Okay. So, but when we got it, it wasn't the higher paper. It was the foundation. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how ableist is that anyway? Yeah. This whole thing about high ability or low ability, mm. you know, like even those things have to go. Mm. God, I'm channeling my inner George now. Just burn it all. Oh my gosh. Burn Do you see why all. we have to be abolitionists? Mm-hmm. Because why should we even have intermediate paper, that. foundation paper? Why do we need that? We don't why? Need, we don't need it, but when I look at their system now, their system needs that, right? I think what we're trying to do in all in all our spaces, from the podcast to enemy, it's horizontal disruptive radical systems right and they're trying to get rid of BTEX as well yeah i saw that they're trying to get rid of BTEX. they want to they're just they're trying to kill the working class straight up they want to try they're trying to kill us they're They're trying trying to kill kill us us. they're trying to kill us if it wasn't for BTEX, even i wouldn't have managed to get into university and but again BTEX, they have to go through me anyway for that Right. <laughs> Anybody is gone. Yeah, yeah, the the war on BTEC is real. That, but, yeah, but I saw that. It's very real. What that means. Yeah. In an environment where we're in, with a kind of a high white white collar working um, economy, everyone's got GCSEs, everyone's got A levels. So they need to create something to kind of differentiate everyone because everyone's got a degree. And now we're tra- we know a meritocracy is not a real, it's not the reality. So they have need to, a sorting mechanism. They need, yeah, they need a sorting mechanism to kind of sort things out, right? So just destroy the working classes. Well, we know that how, that's how capitalism functions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what underpins it all, you know. And right now we're in a bust part of the cycle, right? Mm. 
So jobs are a bit scarce. Weight cost of living the high. So what do you do? Precarity. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a, a continual cycle. But like you said, but like at the start of the kind of podcast, this presentism, we know this is a long rooted um, history of this, mm. this boom and bust cycle. So we need to change something. Something needs to change. That's right. And can I just say the revolution is coming? Mm -hmm. And how do we know the revolution is coming? Because, first of all, you've got books like Lessons in Liberation on Abolitionist, an Abolitionist Toolkit for Educators in WH Smith, everybody. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in case you want to get it. Um, and also you've got books like How to Change It by Josh Virisami um, in Tesco's. Mm -hmm. So there is an appetite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the curtains are falling. Mm -hmm. People are beginning to see what's what yeah. and recognise that reforming a system that has been continually reformed mm -hmm. for decades is not the one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, abolition is gaining traction, not just, hopefully, not just as something that is uh, sexy or, you know what I mean, interesting mm -hmm. or the newest like trend, but hopefully as a serious, serious political project, as well as an organising strategy and tool, because that's mm. what it is to us as organisers. What do you What do you think, Adeem? Do you have this much hope for Sarah? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to organise or or even do anything if I didn't mm. have a belief in abolition or the principles behind how we organise. Like literally, so I think I've said it before. Like the movement kind of um, revitalised um, me in a sense, definitely. And I don't know, I was, I was watching a podcast or reading a video. I mean, watching a podcast or, or reading an article about um, how the black radical movement can basically, can help you in, in, in any, any bout of distress that you're in, basically. Mm. It's yeah, the 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 unifying side of it is just yeah, I think it's really helped still in terms of what what I'm trying to do still. Yeah. It's empowering, right? Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I feel a bit emotional, guys. I'm so weird. <laughs> Why? Why do you feel emotional? No, because I agree and I think that's something that we have said on the show before and it's it's why Maybe it was on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it is why the, the, the black radical tradition is so Good with Harsh. the words, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, the black crowd tradition is such a threat to the state, to those in power, because we're taking everyone with us. Yeah. Like, actually, you free us, you free everyone, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, emo yeah, it's emotional definitely. because it's so, because it does feel like we are in multiple crises at the moment. Mm. But as Stuart Hall tells us, well, I'm paraphrasing him now, but he says, Terrains change, obviously, over time, and there are gaps and there are spaces within terrains where you can find hope and you have to grab onto those things. And I think the people that you're both talking about, the organisers, the organisations, the grassroots work, the knowledge production, there is broad coalitions of people that broadly agree on most things. And I think a lot of them listen to this show mm -hmm. and want to do better and want to change society i do believe that there are people that, are, that are they don't saying. just want to survive it they don't just want to survive it <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like we're just surviving at the moment mm. but as it, as we as we always say to george me and tiso unfortunately it might not be in our lifetime <laughs> yeah. 
No, George is not for Vince. He's like, nah. No, George is I'm ready. He want it now. I say now. I say abolition now. I say feminism now. I say, I say, you know, justice now. I say it's time. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. We don't have another 50 years. We, 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 we don't. We don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Someone might give you a date here. Yeah. <laughs> we really don't. I, I think it's coming now. I think it's sooner than we think. And I'll tell you what, there was an interview with the. I, I didn't even plan to talk about this. It's just come to mind. There's an interview with Angela, Auntie Angela Davis. Yeah. Um, I think it was Mark Lamont that was saying to her, we did a survey and only 15% of people are behind abolition. She was like, do you know how many people that is? Mm. 15%. She said, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. Yeah, she did say, yeah. She did say that. So, and then I thought, that's right. 50, like 15% of people didn't even know what mm. abolition was. And now that behind it, rewind that again, selector. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's... You're talking millions of people. Mm. That what you're talking. Exactly. Mm. So even even we, me and one other abolitionist makes a big difference. So For real. Imagine. Listen, and there are many abolitionists who don't know the word abolition who are abolitionists. Mm. Like part of my PhD is interviewing head teachers who don't exclude. They're abolitionists. Mm. Really? They don't know it. Yeah. Okay. They are working within a frame that is looking at, okay, what can I do with these children besides excluding them? So they're looking for abolitionist alternatives. Well, as they're, well, right? I think oppositional defiance disorder is another way of saying abolitionist in other yeah. terms. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You were always just an abolitionist. <laughs> no, I used to say that. You're it's my life's work, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It, it makes sense. And it's, and it's not a destination, so it's a journey. Mm -hmm. And of course... Some people may never be comfortable with that term. I don't know why, because the history of that term is beautiful. Mm. You know where it comes from, you know. Um, I, I just think we're, we're very close. We're very close. And, I, and I'm seeing it in the alliances. Like, I'm seeing it in the knowledge production. Mm. Like, starting with your paper and what you're doing mm. through the, the... We started with that. But also, I'm looking at the report that Kids of Colour produced, mm. you know, No Police in School report. Mm. I'm looking at... You talked about Darren Wallace and, like, mm. the writing mm. he did, like looking back at the history of ESN schools and like Bernard Court, yeah, Still Remy. Alive, yeah. with Remy. Um, also that own knowledge production. We've just released yes, our own guide. On. This guide, the link, that to the, guide. link to the guide will be in the episode notes. So what's it called, Zara? What about the other 29 and other FAQs, the mystifying abolition in the UK education system? Okay, Kadeem, who are the 29? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the 29. When I say one of the 29, Basically, I'm I'm just I'm I'm. It's my way of saying I'm an individual in a collective. Mm -hmm. Is that the 29 people in like your class? In class the classroom, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm the one getting excluded, yeah, yeah. or the one in the corner, in it. Wow. So it's it's two meanings, in it. It's just yeah, it's just but yeah. Also, the one mm. that got out of the class as well. That makes sense. It's a very deep, there's a very deep meaning to that because one of the main challenges we get is always, what do you mean don't exclude? What do you mean abolish exclusion? What about the other 29? Mm. In other words, that you know, this idea that in society there are some people who are so dangerous mm. to society that they have to be exiled, disposed of, put away, locked away, as, as in the case, as described by Kadim, what happened to him? And they start believing it as well. And then, so I think that's, right. yeah. Who starts to believe it? The 29 or the... Yeah, the, the 29. Both the 29. The 29 in mainstream and the 29 in Prue. Mm. They start believing wherever they was placed. But there's a condi right, there's a, but there's a long history of that, right? A long history of exclusions. Um, not just in schools, but also um, from the penal colonies 
prisons. What does the West decide to do with people they don't really like? Remove them. And sometimes we send them to a whole nother country, a whole nother country. Yeah, bro, like this is it. Mm-hmm. So, and not only that, if, if you look at how certain areas are made up, housing, poor people on one side, rich people on the other side. Mm. This is the nature of the West, right? So, oh, yeah, I live in Brosby Park. <laughs> so, you get me. But it's a, there's a mad history about it, man. There's a lot, there's a big history. And what you said is so important about how organized it is. Like, so economically, politically, educationally, exclude for centuries. Mm. Geo geographically exclude. Mm-hmm. That's an organized system, an organized structure that requires a lot of people to invest in it, believe in it, uphold it, defend it, mm-hmm. and defend it. The, the defend die for it. Die for it. Die on that hill. Like for example, one of the challenges that we get, and it's in the booklet, is in the guide. If people want to read about it, is like, oh, aren't Peru's and alternative provisions better for some kids who can't survive in mainstream? Well, first of all, when you talk about why is mainstream not suitable for everybody? Mm-hmm. That would be a really good conversation to have. Shall we talk about mm-hmm. the funding, the training of teachers, the buyers of teachers, mm-hmm. who some of whom will never change? I'm just waiting for them to retire. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not everybody that's going to be transformed. I'm an abolitionist. I believe in human transformation, but I also know that there are some people who are committed to not changing. To be fair. And I don't want them anywhere near our babies. Mm-hmm. They need to go, mm-hmm. move mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah? <laughs> basically the first teacher to ever exclude me when what well, i was what six six she was found to be siphoning funds from the SEND department so she was stealing money from the SEND department yes yeah, she, she left yeah. when you say abolition what does that actually look like what does a world of education where abolition has happened what does hmm. that look like Do you well wanna... yeah i think that basically read straight into the FAQ and why we've published it basically mm. and um so we discuss uh, abolition exclusions our moratorium as well and our thoughts around how we deal with um incidents of um sexual violence in in the classroom before they happen as well so um Obviously, question five, six, and seven is a lot about kind of, yeah, what do we do with the other 29? Where are they going to go? And what are their outcomes afterwards? And I guess um, a link between mental health as well and um, criminalization. So I haven't mentioned specifically SEND and learning difficulties, but obviously that obviously needs to be mentioned as well. And I feel um, what's important as well is the future of how we um, see classrooms or mainstream education. Um, obviously, all proofs are not bad, the structure of them. But I say um, if smaller classrooms were allowed to be in mainstream school, it would be more productive for the teacher and for the other 29 as well and the one of the 29. I just feel like education could move in that direction to basically improve society's outcomes. Yeah. You said the, the question was, how do we move to abolition you know, yeah, in education? You, yeah, to, yeah. Well, Kadim is kind of, yeah, it's one of the yeah, things, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like looking at class sizes, for example, is key. I would say training teachers and also what I said earlier about some teachers may not, they may, some not just teachers, but some educators in general, mm. Mm actually have no business in being near children because mm. of the way they behave. 
Um, question. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be devil's advocate but just thinking of people who will be thinking, but how do we measure? How do we work out, like, how much, quote-unquote, progress people make? I'm saying, hopefully you can hear the, like, sarcasm in my voice. I don't, I, I believe you should get rid of all exams. Um, I don't think we should measure anyone. Um, but what would, what would an abolitionist think about, like, how you track a pupil's progress, for example? Yeah. I think with abolition... Like we always look at the root causes mm-hmm. or the conditions, right? So it's not because we're trying to avert answering the question. It's because we need to ask the right questions. What, where does the need for metrics, because what's up you're talking yeah, metrics, about, come yeah. from? For us, who are, who are we are anti-capitalist, mm. it comes from that system that, that um, Tissa was talking about earlier, that need to sort people between mm. the ones that are this value and the ones that are this valuable. Okay, and then the ones who are this valuable, we can recycle them into other systems where they they can produce value in another way, i.e., the care system, <laughs> the the prison system, <laughs> um, particular housing system, and so on and so forth. Right. So, um, and also we've seen in, in, in you know the links with immigration as well, deportation. I mean, this this, this goes very deep. Mm-hmm. So, the, there are, yeah, I think the thing about metrics is I think it's a symptom. Like this, this need to measure exams so is a system of what the whole thing, the way in which the whole thing is structured. Mm. So taking away exams is, is only part of what we need to do. You know, mm. taking away school exclusions abolish, is, is only part of our project. Teacher ed. Teacher education is a big mm. part of it. The curriculum is a big part of it. Investing in mental health, counselling, support, early identification of Diver, d- diverse, neurodiversity, neurodiversity yeah. is another one. So there isn't an answer to what do you replace this with? Like abolitionists are pluriverse inhabitants. Like, you know, there's a multiplicity of things that we need to be looking at, considering. And the opposite of scarcity is abundance. So there's an abundance of ways in which we could educate children. But at the, at the heart of all of that, there should be bell hooks we can't talk about like education or talk about bell hooks and like ethics of love and care mm. right radical mm. in a radical mm. sense which is really lacking mm. fundamentally from the system yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i remember uh, one quick example i remember when the announcement was made that you know because of the pandemic the exams will be cancelled a lot of my students like contacted me and they were like what are we gonna do and i'm like aren't you happy your exams are cancelled mm. and they were like no we're devastated like we've been told all our lives that yeah. education yeah. Like, and they were yeah, devastated cancelled mm-hmm. they're like aren't you yeah. relieved five years preparing for yeah. like, that's that's why we go to school for exams i'm like that's not why you should be going to school but in reality that's what we tell young people and children yeah. i've yeah. done it myself as yeah. a teacher mm-hmm. we need to learn this because it's going to be in the exam most likely and i'm like that's not the reason why we should be learning mm-hmm. So the fundamental kind should of love like, learning. The, exactly, the love of learning should be the reason why, ideally. But, but like I said, like it's because there's so many mistruths or misinformation spoken about this thing. You're told it's a thing for it's a meritocracy to get out of school to get values, but this thing is teaching you how to learn to follow rules. Schools sorting you and, and, and assessing you for life out in the real world. So this is where you're going to be, and this is your value. And when you get to certain universities, now you get to universities where it carries on, you either get to a, a kind of a, a red brick university or a polytechnic, an old polytechnic, and that's going to sort you further. And this is the thing, it's a sorting mechanism. 
and but it, the lie is we tell you you're gonna go to school because it's because you love learning <laughs> but it's not true right so you've been through a lot and i think you're amazing and i think that you are an example of basically like uh, it's like a miracle that you've come come out <laughs> that come out in this way because the state the school the structures around us did not want you to be where you are now and I want to know how, what were the things, what were the things, alternative modes of being, of learning, of being around, uh, maybe being around other people that helped you get to where you are because you were, you previously had been around so many people that did not want you to be studying a degree or sat here in the studio <clears throat> on Surviving Society podcast. Um, apparently I'm vindictive. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Clinical paperwork, in it. I'm, yeah. I'm vindictive, I, but I'm I vindictive do, do about know. success, in it. So okay, you need so to. Right. You do need to do. I'm sure. Maybe you have already planned yeah. or done episodes on like the way in which educational psychologists are imbibed in all this. Oh, the clinical Science, cli- clinical psychologists. I'm sorry, guys. I don't. I'm not up for you guys. I just. I'm not up for psychology. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we know some good ones. Yeah. we've got some in enemy that are trying to they're yeah. aware of the way in which they and do you know what this is this is a big part of our abolition we don't pretend to have all the answers for how to remake education in a way that renders ed- exclusion obsolete that is a task we must take on together accepting that we will make mistakes and need to try things out and that not everything will work the first time around yeah that's good man yeah that's good well you're amazing you really are yeah man and thank you so much for sharing your story with us and oh, the listeners 100 percent. thanks for imagine inviting how many kadeems there are right there's loads so man many. how many kadeems there's loads man my nephews now they're six but i can see the same traits man the same things the same tropes um they, 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 they had a treat the twins right yeah. so they're twins and so you're seeing one's quite uh shy naturally mm. but already he feels he's already talking about his skin color he doesn't really talk and talking about him being brown yeah and there's not there's not many brown kids in this school and i'm thinking raw like you're six bro you're six man and it's two but it's 2022 but it's the same cycle thank you both so much for coming on the show um there'll be lots of um references slash no more exclusions literature within the episode notes but yeah you've both been incredible thank you so much and we are going to end this episode with another philosophical poem from kadeem no more exclusion means no more occupation, no more dispossessing, no more colonizing, no more bombing, no more apartheid, no more false equivalence, no more imperialism, no more airstrikes, no more drones, more ceasefire, no more attempts to rewrite history, no more exploitation. No more genocide, no more media lies, we're not accepting it anymore. No more exclusion means, no more deportations, no more racism, no more unconscious bias, no more stigmatization. No more exclusion means more representation, no more injustices, no more unheard voices, no more unfulfilled dreams, no more trauma. We're not accepting it anymore. No more labeling, no more restraints, 
no more deaths in custody, no more through to prison pipeline, no more managed moves, no more state violence, no more police brutality, no more matching the description, no more surveillance in schools, no more unwarranted stop and searches, no more gaslighting, it's no longer our fault, more defund the police, more peace, no more gentrification, more humanity, no more state violence, no more unaccountability, no more unanswered questions, no more broken relationship, no more exclusion means, no more exclusions. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 